Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter. I'd like to share with Van Cleve, opened this session with yesterday. And um, from uh, the Word of the Lord, I was reminded in thinking of the uh, subject to be handled of the story I read some time ago of Manalay, the great Spanish bullfighter, Matador, when invited to a banquet in his honor, uh, he attended the session where many uh, stood and some spoke of the uh, training of bulls for the sport of bullfighting, and others told of the economic impact upon the nation, and uh, others talked of the processes of making matadors and they gave their theories and they gave their opinions and and finally they remembered Manalay and they said, Manalay, you you stand and you tell us about bullfighting. And he stood to his feet and he said, Gentlemen, I don't know. I just go out and fight the bull. And this morning I'm not sure that I know uh, the various factors that are involved in making disciples, but I can say this, that we're involved in the process. In Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, in the 18th verse, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, or make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And what the Lord Jesus has commanded and commissioned us this morning, beloved, is something that we cannot simply entertain, but we have the commission and the command, and we also have the prospect, he said, that we could disciple all nations. And I believe the word of the Lord. One principle that I believe is important to the making of disciples is the principle of impartation of divine truth of the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is at this point that I feel that we are in the greatest error in Christianity of the entire concept. For we have institutionalized the process of making disciples, and we have, uh, as it were, created machines, instead of making disciples ourselves, we have created and institutionalized a process whereby we feel that the making of disciples is involved simply with a dispensation of information of a biblical and a theological content, and that alone will, will, will bring to pass the making of disciples. It will not. I'm reminded of a, a pinball machine. <laughs> Any of you played a pinball machine? You get a hold of the corners of it and you punch the lever. And up comes Mitchell, the class of 1960. Plump it back, round it goes, hits 10, 50, 75. Almost goes under and you hit the flipper back up to the top. Almost lost that one, but we, <laughs> we kept him on the board. 50 again, 60. Up, down the hole it goes. Well, that's all right. 
Here we've got Jones, class of 61. Punch him up. And around we go. This is, this is what we do in the making of disciples. We have machines. Personnel are dispensable. We have information institutions that are simply involved in dispensing information, and we feel that simply the, the, the uh, process of putting information of uh, theological and biblical content into the heads of people are the process whereby we may achieve the making of disciples. But I want you to know that the impartation of divine truth, friends of mine, is only accomplished in one way, and that's by incarnation. The Bible says that Jesus ordained twelve men that they should be with him. Now when God wanted to reveal himself, the scripture declares in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was it not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him, he has manifested him, he has made him known. The way God made known the Logos, the self-expression of himself, was in incarnation in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus ordained twelve, that these twelve should be with him that he might impart to them the principles of the kingdom of God. Paul said to the disciples, I long to be with you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, not the perversion of the latter rain doctrine, but the principle that spiritual graces must be personally imparted. There is a truth that truth must be incarnated to be imparted. Someone asked Billy Graham, Billy, if you're going to a large city today to reach that city, how would you proceed? And Billy Graham said these words, I would choose twelve men, and in these twelve men I would pour my life, everything that I knew about God and the principles of the kingdom of God, I would train these twelve men, impart this to them, and then send them forth that they should win twelve others. See, discipling, beloved, is not the result of information. Discipling is a result of formation. Sam Shoemaker said disciples cannot be mass-produced. They must be handcrafted. Truth is not so much taught as it is taught. And there's a law of association that Jesus spoke of in Luke 6.40. The disciple is not above his master. But everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Literally, a disciple, when he is fully taught, will be like his teacher. And so we have this principle in the Word of God. When Jesus wanted to make God known, he chose twelve men that they should be with him, and as he imparted to them the divine revelation of God himself, there was imparted to them divine truth, eyeball to eyeball, man to man, on a gut-level experience, whereby they went from that experience knowing what divine truth was. There's a second principle 
that I believe is important, and that principle is the principle of involvement. Now, you and I must learn to involve men in the actual processes of winning people to Jesus Christ. We must actually involve our people not simply in a program, not simply in an institutionalized program that comes out whereby we keep them busy, keep the kids off the streets, and keep them involved, but we must trust them to the Holy Spirit, actually allow them to minister, actually allow them to preach, actually allow them to meet the needs of others, actually allow them to become involved in the preaching of the gospel, giving of altar calls, leading men and women to Jesus Christ, presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's a principle of involvement that is important which we cannot bypass. This is a very difficult thing to do, to trust untrained and unknowledgeable people into the hands of the Holy Spirit and allow them to speak God's words, entrust them in an actual ministry situation whereby they can minister, whereby they can present the gospel, whereby they can meet with the needs of men and trust them into the hands of the Holy Spirit and trust that the Holy Spirit will bring forth in them capability to lead men into a ministry experience that will meet their needs. I have never preached an outreach. I have never ministered in a coffeehouse situation. I have never spoken in a park concert. But in the very beginning of our ministry, the Holy Spirit led me to trust young men and women into the hands of God to actually present the gospel and actually become involved in the ministry of meeting the needs of others. And while I was preaching to a hundred and a hundred and twenty-five people in my services, those young untrained people were speaking and ministering to two and three and four and five hundred people in actual ministry situations, giving altar calls and leading them into the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had the privilege of going down in November into Obregón, Mexico. There one of our young men, discipled in our program, was preaching a citywide crusade in an old boxing arena there. And I attended as an observer and watched that young man and his interpreter and one of the other workers, as they worked with that mass of humanity in that beautiful city, and saw them preach every night to 24 to 2,500 to over 3,000, with a 1,000 people answering the altar call every night. I'd never spoken to more than five, maybe six, seven, eight hundred people at one time. And I watched them present the gospel of Jesus Christ and see a thousand people every night come to Christ and miracles of every kind transpire. These are young men without great exposure but trusted into the hands of the Holy Spirit and God himself will teach them the principles of winning men to Jesus Christ if we will trust them with the commission that God has given to you and I. You see, there is a development that comes by exercise. Jesus ordained these twelve. The Bible said that he should send them forth to preach in every city where he himself would come. 
After this, he ordained 70 other also and sent them out to preach. Jesus involved them, not simply in some um, little program that just kept them out of trouble or kept them involved, but they're actually involved in presenting the gospel and meeting the needs of humanity. These men were untrained as far as the world was concerned. They were not theologically qualified. Isn't it a strange thing how we approach? Uh, you see, when life is inside, brethren, <laughs> when life, God's divine life, dwells with them, there will naturally flow out. God himself will naturally bring out of that innermost being a process that is a principle and an outflow of that divine life. See, maturity comes by doing. It doesn't come by hearing. We don't take our children when they're babies and set them down and say, Now, uh, Pete, Joe, Susie, now I want to analyze with you the growth processes of bone and uh, use the principle of equilibrium and, and, uh, and, uh, and I want to go through all the, 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 uh, the scientific evidences and, and the theories and the processes. What we do is we take babies, take them by the hands, uh, get them up on their legs, uh, learn their legs to strengthen, and then begin to take them to take steps. Uh, and very quickly, the life that is within them, the natural instinct that dwells with it, they'll be running all over the house. You see, we feel that in the making of disciples, we have to constantly uh, be careful that these little babes in Jesus Christ aren't capable of understanding all the theological perspectives and the ramifications of that which is involved and all the biblical content. They aren't qualified and they aren't ready. But my friend, I want you to know that the Bible says Jesus ordained twelve and he sent them forth that they should preach in every city. These were new converts and they were the finished product well spoken, but they were qualified to present the, the gospel of, of the kingdom of God and to pray for the sick and to cast out devils and to preach present the principles of eternity. Another 70 he sent forth also. When they came back, they rejoiced, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They were rejoicing. Jesus rejoiced in spirit. He said, I, Father, I thank thee that you re you've Hidden these things from the wise and prudent, you've revealed them to the babes, and he admonished them. He said, Rejoice not that the devils are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And he said these words. He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He encouraged them. He admonished them. He instructed them. He evaluated. He gave them perspective, but he involved them in ministry. You see, disciples, friend, are made in the going. Not in the state. Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. And there must be a balance between precept or concept and practice. Responsibility that you and I have as ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ spoken of in Ephesians 4, 
11 and 12, the verses were shared, where the Lord Jesus said through the Apostle Paul, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Our responsibility is to involve our people in ministry, yes, to mend the nets, yes, to put the limb in the socket, to perfect him, but most importantly, for the developing of these people so that they themselves can present Jesus Christ for the winning of people to the kingdom. And may I say this, this morning, you see, this, this responsibility lays on you and I. God has given us that commission, he has given us that responsibility. I don't care what your theory may be or your program may be. God says, I have given you as a gift to the church. I have commanded you that you will make disciples. I have commanded you that they be developed. I have commanded you that you will bring forth men and women that are capable of ministering. You will never do that by simply involving them in hearing. You must involve them in doing. And this takes a great deal of faith in the Holy Spirit to take a heart and the natural instincts that flow from the divine life within to bring them forth. Given it does take correction, it does take admonition, it does take discipline, it does take time. But that responsibility lays upon you and I for the making of disciples. The acid test of every program that we have, the acid test of all of our theories, the acid test of all of our processes is not whether we pastor a church of 50 or 500 or 5,000. It is not whether men are enraptured by our speaking ability or our capability. The acid test that must be laid upon every ministry is are we actually bringing forth disciples that are going out and ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one other principle I'd like to touch on this morning. And this is the principle of the environment, the spiritual environment, which I believe is critical to the making and the gaining and the development of disciples. Now, we've learned a lesson from the environmentalists. We've learned today that we cannot just ignore environment and uh, everything will come out all right. But we've learned of the fragility of the environment in which we live and that if we create an imbalance in that environment, that it has far-reaching consequences and has a tremendous effect and impact upon other areas unexpectedly of our environment. We pastored up in Idaho farm country for a number of years, and farmers up there found out that they can control certain insects and crop pests by uh, insecticides and pesticides. But they also found out that those same chemicals kill bees, and man has never found out how to grow crops and fruit yet without bees for pollination. And on the one hand, while he would like to control certain pestilent uh, uh, outbursts of nature, on the other hand, he finds the 
absolute necessity of bees being able to function to pollinate the crops. And so he must find a trade-off and a balance between these two processes. Beloved, we either are victims or beneficiaries of the spiritual environment in which we function and by which we are surrounded. And I feel definitely that there is a critical factor in the actual presence, manifestation, and demonstration of the Holy Spirit to the making of disciples. In the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, in the 31st verse, the Bible says that the churches were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Thank God! <laughs> you study it yourself. I won't go into all the, the uh, senses of the word comforted. But those aren't simply words. That means something. And as a result of that process, the Scripture says the churches were multiplied. That's what we're after. We want disciples that will go into the world and multiply themselves, and the Scripture declares that one of the vital processes that bring that to pass is the environment of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not simply talking about theory. I grow extremely weary of an affected presence of the Holy Spirit, of men manipulating men with words that say, Now the Spirit of God is here. My friend, if he's there, <laughs> you'll be active. See, with our peanut-sized brain, we want to manipulate the Spirit of God, deity, that comes and inhabits and dwells and moves and manifests, but we, we have to get it down on a human level and begin to govern and, and, and cause everything that happens to be analyzed. And, and uh, See, that's not what this is speaking of in the book of Acts. You, you do your own study on it. This literally means a demonstrated presence, something actual in experience, not something that's affected. Manifestations in the consolation of which the hearts of men are affected vitally for eternity. <laughs> Amen. I grow extremely uh, weary of services where somebody says, Now let's stand and give God a little cheer. Okay, that's enough now. Don't get carried away. And the handsy, feely, touchy, religious calisthenics by which we are going to affect a manifestation of the Spirit of God. I know there's quite a bit of talk nowadays about uh, if the Spirit of God speaks, he wouldn't speak in King James English. Oh, the Spirit of God speaks in a lot of things. He speaks in Alabamese. He has the twang of a colored brother. He sounds sometimes like south of the border. He spoke to Balaam and it had the flavor of a jackass. 
Small wonder that when it comes through you and I, friend of mine, that it has the tinge and the flavor of what we are. Holy Spirit is not linked up to cool, to hip. He's not linked up to anything. He works independently of and through whatever vessel he can speak to bring to pass a divine movement and to affect hearts for eternity. A little clipping that really was indicative of some of the peanut-sized brains that we want to analyze. Well, folks, now that was a prophecy. Oh, if it was a prophecy, friend, we know about it. And if it wasn't, we know. We have to interpret and put God down on a human level so we make sure that he's manipulated and everything fits in with our little scope and program. On a seminary wall was a beautiful illustration written. This was written on a seminary wall. And Jesus said unto them, Who do you say that I am? And in quotes was this, And they replied, You are the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being in the charisma of which we find the ultimate meaning of our interpersonal relationships. The next line said, And Jesus said, What? Two philosophers were talking together, two Greek philosophers. One philosopher said, when I speak, the people say, oh, a great orator he is. The other man said, when I speak, the people say, let's march against Philip. The question that we need to ask is not whether it comes through King James, not whether we have something that doesn't fit in with our own perspective of how we feel that we have figured out how God's Spirit is going to move and how He's going to manifest and how He's going to speak. The question we need to ask this morning, friend of mine, is where is the Spirit of God that spoke in time of old and among the disciples, there was a rushing mighty wind. There were cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they spoke with other tongues, and the entire city rushed together and said, What does this mean? And out of that experience, they went forth to turn the world upside down. Disciples went to all the known world, and they touched and affected all of humanity. The question we need to ask, friend of mine, Not whether it fits in with our theological perspective, persuasion, or desires. The question we need to ask, and God move upon our hearts with this, is where is that manifestation of the Spirit of God that lights a fire within the heart of man that gives him a burning vision of the lost multitudes of humanity and stirs his soul whereby he may be go forth and declare the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ 
Where is the manifestation of the Spirit that instantly puts man in contact with the living God that dwells enthroned in heaven above and moves among the hearts of men and reveals himself unto those who are open and are in need of help? The three principles that are involved in the making of disciples. One is the impartation of divine truth. It must be done heart to heart, man to man. They cannot be mass-produced. They are handcrafted. Secondly, if we are to produce disciples, we must actually involve them in ministry situations, presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, they must actually experience the presence, the manifestation, the demonstration, the working of the Spirit of God that can be seen and experienced. People filled with the Holy Ghost, lives miraculously converted from sin and drugs and sex and unrighteousness and occult. Miracles actually transpiring that demonstrate the multiplication process.